Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I want to welcome everyone. If you're new, we are so glad you found us. If you're not new, welcome back. So I just want to tell you something that happened this past weekend. It seems like every every podcast I get on here and I wonder, oh, I wonder what story I'm going to have this week. And then things just happen weekly. So I'm just going to share just something kind of little. But this past weekend, we've been really busy with ball games. Thank goodness their baseball teams are playing again. And the boys also have some lawn jobs where they get called to do not just mowing lawns, but like heavy yard work and whatnot. And so they were really busy this weekend. And um, Sunday afternoon, they finished up some stuff and they came in and they said, Mom, we really need to have some friends over tonight. Now, I know we need to go to bed early because we got up really early this morning and we got to bed late, you know, this weekend. But but we really need to have some friends over. Even if it's just like for an hour, we just have to see them. <laughs> I'm watching this and I'm looking at them and they're begging and they're begging and they're begging. And I wasn't saying no, but they were just begging and begging. And what they were describing and what our guest, Dr. Dunkley and I are going to talk about some today is this need that kids have to be around their peers and they just need to get their cup filled, you know, like once a week or something with this interaction. And, and it hit me, you know, I told them, I'm like, sure, we can have some friends over. That's fine. And they did. And they had a great time. And and they they left around 9.30 and, you know, because it was a school night and everybody knew they had to go, but they just needed to get that fix. And the way they were begging me for that, what hit me was they were begging for their friends the way my oldest son, Adam, used to beg for his video games. And it just really hit me. And I just want you to think today about what are your kids begging for? Like, are they begging for screens? Like, I mean, because like they were begging for these friends to come over. And I think as parents, we really just get to pick what influences our kids' lives. And I think that we need to all realize that maybe that means that we have to cut back on some things that are really harming them. And I want you to think about what are your kids begging for and what do you want them to beg for? And I want my kids to beg for more time with friends and I want them to really have that desire to be around people. So speaking of Adam, um, if y'all haven't listened to his podcast, please go back and look and listen to that as well as the boys, our younger sons actually did some Q&A and that may really help you with your your kids as you think about resetting their screen habits. And today we are thrilled to have Dr. Victoria Dunkley back to do part two of her book, Reset Your Child's Brain, a four-week plan to end meltdowns, raise grades, and boost social skills by reversing the effects of electronic screen time. So Victoria, welcome back. Thank you, Melanie. I'm happy to be here. Well, as y'all know, if you've listened to part one, if you haven't, be sure and listen to part one. Dr. Dunkley is a mental health expert. She is an integrative psychiatrist and author of this very famous book, I'm just so honored to call her my friend. Um, she's such a good friend. And I've just been so blessed to know Victoria over the years here. And together, we've really had lots of conversations about 
how to help parents reduce the screen time and the hold that screens have on our kids. And our Screen Strong Challenge is based very much on her recommendations and her book. So they kind of go hand in hand and we'll talk some more about that. But Dr. Dunkley, what I want to do to start is go to part two in your book. We're just going to walk through this a little bit because I just love hearing your insights. Just help us um, understand this whole, the whole reset, just in a nutshell, just, just talk about that just for a minute about what it's supposed to do, (laughs) what the goal of it is and um, how to get started. Okay. So the first goal is really that you're resetting the brain, all these systems that have gone out of whack or become desynchronized. So you're resetting the brain chemistry, the reward pathways, the dopamine uh, receptors that get desensitized. You help you know, um, upregulate those receptors. You are lowering stress hormones, improving blood flow to the front part of the brain where all the executive functioning and mood regulation happens, helping facilitating deep sleep, getting them to move again and play creatively and kind of grieve the screens and help them develop outside screen-free interests again. So all of those things that's kind of the goal of doing the reset, but really, you, you know, it starts at the brain level to kind of um, normalize and get the child back to their baseline of where they should be naturally. Um, and then at the same time, help facilitating healthier habits and, and the dynamics change in the family. A lot of things happen. So when Adam did his last interview, I remember listening to that just recently again, and he made a comment in there that I thought was really interesting. And he said, there is nothing in real life that can match the amount of dopamine that you get when you're playing a video game. And so what Dr. Dunkley is talking about today is the problem with that and how to kind of backpedal and get get their brains reset because the amount of um, those feel-good chemicals and the dopamine and the adrenaline and all the stuff that's going on, it's unnatural. And so we got to get it back to normal. It's sort of like binging on candy bars every night for dinner. At some point, you're going to have to take them away from your kids. And so, um, so let's go through the weeks real quick. So on week one, that's kind of the getting ready. And on page 130, you have all these steps to prepare. And I want to talk about this specifically. I mean, we could talk, of course, all day about all these things forever, but um, we have to move kind of quickly. But I want to do, I do want to pick out this thing that you bring up here about getting your spouse on board. And if one spouse, mama or dad resists what to do about it, can you just talk that that's a big question that we have in our Facebook group. Let me just backpedal for just one second. Also, the other purpose of the reset is that you're doing things in a really methodical way instead of just guessing, you know, trying to reduce and saying, oh, well, this is what the AAP guidelines are, or this is what, you know, his friends are doing. You're really um, this is kind of the gold standard to figuring out how much your child can tolerate, not just what the guidelines are, mm-hmm. but more specifically mm-hmm. your child in more of an algorithm kind of a way. So first you reset everything and then you methodically figure out if and how much they can tolerate. So you reset it and then you kind of customize the plan. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Depending on that child. Okay. So it's just more, it's much more specific and indiv- individualized. Okay. So that's the other purpose. Okay. So back to your question about, um, the spouse. Yes. And preparing. This is a really, really common question. So in an ideal world, 
uh, both parents would, you know, read the book and be on the same page, literally, and and understand how it's impacting the child and, and both, you know, want to do the, the program. If that doesn't happen, what y- your goal really isn't to convince the other spouse that this is what the child needs. The goal is just to convince them to try it as an experiment mm-hmm. um, and to honor what the parent who wants to do it, just to honor their wishes. Can you just say, can you just respect what I'm, what I want to do for these four weeks? You don't have to agree with me, um, but let's just try it as an experiment. Can you help me? That comes across much differently than trying to convince them that this is a, this is the problem. Yeah. It should never be a power struggle in a relationship and it can be. And I've talked to parents who literally have gotten divorced over this issue in in Mm -hmm. my like five to eight years that I've been out there working on this. And it's so sad. And so that's the extreme, of course, but it becomes such a huge problem in a home. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you're kind of arguing with your spouse back and forth all the time about it, even if y'all have a great relationship, this can still be something that causes, you know, trouble. And I think a lot of times dads may think that, the mom is just overreacting and and that's not true all the time. Sometimes there's definite, you know, moms that are like, Oh, he's fine. He's fine. He'll be fine. The dad is like, no, you don't understand what's happening. (laughs) You know? So I love this point though, to just ask them to bite off four weeks. Just give me four weeks, you know, and it's, will you help me? That is really the, you know, talk about men are from Mars, women are from from Venus. If you say, will you help me with this? You don't okay. have to agree with it, but just help me do it. That is a much different request. What a great point. Yeah. Because you're not trying to get them on your side from an argumentative standpoint. You're just trying to say, I need help. Can you right. help me with this? Yeah. And then if they don't help you, at least you asked <laughs> and you can still do the best you can, you know, especially yeah. in divided households. Um, sure. You know, let's talk issue. about that with single parents and stuff. Yeah. Right. But I do want to, there's different issues with, with dad. Well, you know, I don't want to stereotype the dads, but um, it's often the dad that says either because they, they game with the child. And again, if you just say, okay, well, it's just four weeks. We can figure out other things you guys can do instead, that kind of thing. Or it's sometimes it could be because the dad himself is addicted coming home from work and going straight on the computer or whatever. And he, and Mm -hmm. it kind of triggers guilt or other feelings in him, um, or it could be because they have a dream that the child's going to be a coder or go into, yeah. you know, some kind of technology field. So they, they have this resistance to like, you know, steering clear of technology. So there's different issues with different parents. So you kind of have to figure out what the issue is and, and address it. And again, say, well, this is just four weeks. We're going to, you know, track these things to see what gets better and then go from there. It doesn't mean it's forever. It's just, we're doing this for, as an experiment. So, and a big part of it too, is to get educated. I'm such a big, you know, proponent of that, but it is tricky for one spouse to say to the other spouse, you need to be educated. So let me give you this. So can you give us a suggestion? Like, would you suggest that if, if one of the spouses isn't on board, but they're being civil about it, of course, um, would you suggest a certain chapter in your book to read or, I know they, they're probably not going to sit down and read the whole book and I right. hate it. I think, I think people in general don't like it when you say, Oh, go read this book. Like I can tell my best friend to do that, but eh, not so much your spouse. I mean, it, it, well, if you just read this book, then you would understand my point. I mean, that's not really conducive. There's different things you can try, but I think there's a, um, just a sh- very short online 
email course on my website, drjunkley.com slash video games. They would just mm-hmm. get one email each day. It's very, you know, that would at least give them the nuts and bolts of kind of okay. the rationale. There's my article called Screen Time is Making Kids Moody, Crazy, and Lazy outlines the mechanisms that are going on in the brain and, mm-hmm. and kind of the justification of how those mechanisms translate to symptoms. And then also Melanie and I both have on our websites the talk that we gave in mm-hmm. 2017 where, you know, with both Melanie and, and I speaking. So that's another thing that instead of if they just want to listen to something, that's another option. Definitely. Yeah, that's a really good option. And I think this um, screen time making our kids, you know, um, lazy, what is it? Moody, Moody crazy, crazy, and lazy. <laughs> Moody, crazy, and lazy. <laughs> um, you know, because it's just an our article, like it's not a full book, that may be a really good place to start. And right. um, we also have under our learn tab on our site, we have a little walkthrough to just go through the basic issues. So I definitely think that getting ready is very important. And I think getting your spouse on board is critical. And if you can learn any of this stuff together, that's great. Maybe even listen to some podcasts together, you know, all of that is good. So um, the other thing we need to talk about as far as um, getting ready is the single parent. There are quite a few single parents in our culture, of course. And is it harder or easier for them? What do you think? I I think overall it's harder. They don't have as much support. Right. Um, I think they, they, you know, probably more likely to use screens as a babysitter just to get dinner made, do the laundry, you know, just do household stuff and get through the day. But in some ways, at least you have control over your own house and you're not at, you don't have those arguments within the house. But I think with single parents, it's often about like trying to get a little bit more support in place if they don't feel like they can do it by them, you know, do the, the full screen fast by themselves. I definitely think they need to get a friend to do it with them. Yeah. That really helps. And plus it helps you to have your kids play with other kids that are kind of going through the screen fast together because then there's no arguments about, well, he wants to play Fortnite and I can't. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're on the same page. So Yeah. But I, I mean, obviously that makes it a lot easier. But I do have most of the families I work with can't find somebody else to do it with them and okay. they still can get through it. They still but do I it, think, yeah. you know, if they join your group, they're going to at least have some emotional support about, yes. okay, what do I do about this situation? Or, you know, it's just, I think having that. Oh, it helps. It makes all the difference because they you just feel so lonely. And yeah. um, that's, that's half of it. Just not feeling lonely and feeling like you've got a community. And feeling like you're not crazy. You know, feel, I yes. think a lot of parents say exactly. like, I knew this was going on. I, you know, when right. they read my material, your material, like you know, it, it validates what they're think, what they already know intuitively, and what they're seeing. And then to have other parents say, "Yeah, I saw the same thing, and no one believed me." That's huge, right? And and to get that confidence because yes. you're going to need some confidence to do yes. this reset. Um, so all these things, really, the prep is is half of it. I think you know, I For sure. I think you, yeah. I think you've got to prep. You got to read the right thing. Get your spouse on board. Get your other adult coaches, teachers, all that, you know, on board, you've got to build your confidence by getting in maybe those, you know, the Screen Strong Families Facebook group, say, hey, guys, I'm getting ready to start my, you know, challenge, my reset here. Um, I need some help and you'll get a lot of support there. So in this first week, though, before you, well, actually, you know, before you get started, you've got to do a clean sweep and remove devices. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. But you really have to do and make sure you kind of really like top to bottom, yeah. Go through the whole house, the cars. 
under the beds in junk drawers because people often just store old phones and stuff like in random drawers, old laptops, things like that. And the kids will find them. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) They sniff them out. I know. And that is really a good point because even five years ago we had you know, we just didn't have as many screens. It's like, it seems like we're getting new phones all the time. There's new laptops all the time. So then the old things, you know, what do you do with it? You don't really throw it away. So you put it somewhere and the kids find them. And I hear so many parents that the kids are getting um, stuck on, you know, even the eye touches and stuff like that. These Mm -hmm. old eye devices that they didn't even know they had. And I think iPads are actually the worst. Okay. Yes. So that's, that's, you know. Yes. And another thing we tell parents when they do the screen sweep is really to get the devices out of the home. Yeah. For one reason, because the kids will find them. I guarantee it. If you just try to hide them somewhere, or put them where they can't reach them, they will find them. But the second thing is in a moment of weakness, if the parent knows like, Oh, I have that, I, that um, device <laughs> hidden, I can just look, use it really quick, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so it eliminates that possibility. Right. So take it to, you know, I tell parents like, take it to work, give it to a neighbor, you know, get them out of the house. I've had parents put them in a storage facility locked up. So they, you know, just make it more difficult to get them back, but definitely get them out of the house. Because sometimes parents go through the whole reset and then, you know, it's, it's such a shame when they realize, oh, this device was left and we wasted that time. And then you have to start over again. Yeah. And you really need to find like a big Tupperware and put everything in there, carry it to mm-hmm. somebody's house. Like just, yeah. I love that. I remember you and I talking to a mom one time who said that her son actually hid his school. He he got his school iPad or device or something from the school. He brought it home and he hid it between the mattress and his bedroom <laughs> under between his bed. Uh-huh. And, and I'm like, yep, they'll hide him anywhere. And y'all might just be crazy thinking, oh, these ladies, what are they talking about? But it is true. It's like a drug and it's, it's like, They'll do anything to get to their their screen time if they are, you know, struggling with it. So after you get prepared and after you remove the devices and you get everybody on board, um, the other thing that's super important to do that you talk about is replacing that time with other things. So talk about that a minute, the importance of that and how do you see that work in your practice when you're talking like, you know, they have to have toys to play with, but if they're, they're older, this is where you have young kids versus the middle schoolers versus the high schoolers. You know, we have different lists of, you want to find things they can do by themselves. If they have siblings, things they can do with siblings. Um, If they can, if activities they can do with their friends, it may just be you organizing these screen, screen free activities with, you know, with their friends, but try to do that too. And then you want to have, activities, ideally one-on-one with parent and child, and then as a whole family. And then I tell parents to structure each day, like try to have um, each day kind of, especially in the first week or so, because you're, you know, you're learning to live a different way. The more you structure, especially that first week, the better. And Mm -hmm. also part of when you're informing the child of what's going to happen if you can do things like, I know this is going to be hard for you, so I'm gonna, we're going to try to do some special activities that we don't normally do that I yeah. know you want to do and put those on the calendar. And that helps the child have something to look forward to as well as, you know, it's just more fun that way. Mm-hmm. And they won't necessarily be receptive to talk, you know, brainstorming about those fun things at the beginning, especially if they're really mad. But as they kind of realize that this is actually happening you know, they may be like, well, can you take me to a baseball game or whatever? You know, they start asking for things that you can, you know, kind of get on the calendar. 
and I think that it works, of course, easier when they're younger. I don't think there's any question about that. Mm-hmm. It's easier to do the reset. It's easier to make these changes. And then when they start to enter middle school and high school, it does get harder. And a lot of families, you know, wait till then to do the reset. So let's, let's talk about that here in the book in chapter six, you're talking about your child's reaction and how this works with rejuvenating or, you know, resetting the nervous system. What types of things do you see as far as withdrawal? And, um, I I love this headline. I don't, I mean, it's kind of awful, but anticipate despair. I think that word is Mm -hmm. a really good word because when they're teenagers, anywhere from 13 to like 18, that, that age, it is the end of like their life, you know, they think, right. you know, and they are in despair. So talk about the reactions. And, um, I won't ask you to even say what's normal because like it, there's nothing normal about, you know, a 10 year old having a meltdown on the kitchen floor, but it's to be expected, I guess. And about the withdrawal, I'll talk about that a minute. Yeah. So, you know, all, almost all kids will have some kind of negative reaction, Um, and a lot of them do feel a sense of despair. You know, I talk about, I see a lot of 16 year old boys start crying in my office as we're talking about Mm -hmm. this. And then they, you know, explode when they go home and that reaction and fear of that reaction is a lot of what keeps parents from doing this in the first place. They, they might know they need to do it, but they're so scared. Yeah. So, um, kind of knowing what, what could happen and being prepared is, is huge. So one thing that like, like um, talking about the single parent again, if you're worried that your teen might become explosive during, you know, when you inform them, you can have a neighbor or a friend come over just to do the informing the child part so that you feel like, because sometimes, you know, I have teenagers all the time who have attacked parents. So just to have an extra body around is helpful. And the two kind of key times are when you're informing the child about what's going to happen. And then when you're removing the devices from the home. So I recommend removing them while they're at school or, you know, out of the house Mm -hmm. in some way, um, Mm -hmm. because it's disturbing for them to actually watch that happen. So that, you know, the two kind of categories that we look at are danger to others being becoming aggressive or destroying furniture, that kind of thing, or danger to self going into that state of despair. You really just want to be empathic when you're telling them what's going to happen and you want to frame it. It's not a punishment. We're not doing this because of the way you've been acting or behaving or anything like that. It's because we're learning about the brain and how the screen impacts the brain. And I want to help you. And this is, we're going to do this together. Yes, I know it's going to be hard, but I'm going to do it with you. And we're going to, we're going to all be in this together. Mm-hmm. So you just want to, you want to, em- you want to empathize with their despair, but also move on and say, this is what we're going to do instead. Try not to engage in the, if they start trying to argue with why this won't work for them, try to, you know, don't engage in that. So what you're saying is you're not negotiating with the teenager at this point. (laughs) Yeah. So be prepared for the conversation, what you're going to say and, um, and try to just sidestep any negotiating whatsoever. This is just what's going to happen. You get out of the calendar, you show them, you know, when it's going to start. And then those first few days can be the hardest. So sometimes even with teenagers, I have the parent, if they feel like the child is, you know, saying that they're going to hurt themselves or something, you know, when the, when their phone gets taken away, um, that the, they keep their child, you know, 
have like a 24-7 safety watch, basically, to be with that child around the clock, including at bedtime. They can even, you know, sleep in their room that night if they're really worried. And sometimes, you know, girls, I had teen girls say, you know, that really helped for those first few days because I felt so, they feel really out of sorts. So it helps to have that human connection. Oh my goodness. I know it does. And, and you kind of have to go back in time a little bit in their development mm-hmm. because um, they've gotten stuck and even though their body is continuing to grow, their emotions around all this get stuck in this right. weird state. But if you think about like, you know, that example you were giving when they're begging for the screens and then now they're begging for their friends, it's really that this screen time activity, whether it's the gaming or social media, it's really the social reward pathways that it's hijacking. Mm-hmm. Those are really what the dopamine pathways are for. So if you think about it that way, you are replacing that need, you, the parent. So if you're, you're literally hijacking it back, you know, those pathways. And I think we mentioned it in our last podcast. I think it was this, this series where if you can envision in your mind, like a big pickup truck going through the mud and then, you know, rainy mud, whatever. And then the sun comes out and everything dries and you see that groove that it made that, that, pathway, that's that's where if it rains again, that's where the water is going to go. It's the path of least resistance. And so what's happened over time, our kids have gotten so used to gaming, so used to their phones and social media that that's what Dr. Dunkley's talking about right now, this, this um, pathway that needs to be like reworked because it, mm-hmm. it's the path of least resistance or the rut of least resistance. And it's, it feels good. It's natural. It's easy. Like it's, it's the easiest thing. Our human bodies are always trying to do the easiest thing. And now we're trying to say, no, 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 don't go there. Go this, go do this pathway. Well, that's really hard for them. And that's what this whole reset is about. It's about making some new ruts (laughs) and making some new reward pathways. And the little story, yeah, that I just said, you know, it's so interesting when I do these podcasts, I never really know what's happening, you know, the, whatever. And it, every time I I do a podcast, it's like I have a fresh story and and it's because I'm living it. I'm just living it right now. I'm living this out. And the way that the boys now, you know, because they don't crave screens the same way that Adam did, they are still craving, like they're mm-hmm. going to crave something to, to fill this social void that they have, but now I've just kind of shifted it over. And now they know they get this, this dopamine when their friends are coming over face to face. And that's what they're craving. I think it's a really interesting analogy, how that works. And this is what we're trying to do. And so this, what you're doing and this reset is you're literally taking away this type of dopamine and replacing it with another type, not another type of dopamine, but another activity that's going to still stimulate that. Right. And the other, the other, thing that is helpful to think about it is it's really a grieving process. They go through all the stages of anger, despair, denial, and then finally acceptance. But yeah. when you're, um, when you go, when they know it's at least a month and they have to let it go because they have to get through the whole month. The problem with, if you're, you know, trying to restrict screens during the week, but then you give it on Saturday or whatever, is that if they're really still hooked, they're, they're just thinking about, I can't wait to get to Saturday instead of living, they're still, they haven't grieved it yet. So I think that's, that's my other really key point about getting through those four weeks is like, it really creates a shift in how they're thinking about it. 
Right. It's like going back in that same rut every week. And Mm -hmm. so you can never get out of it. It's never going to get smoothed over. You're never going to get, yeah, that that's really, really important. They have to go through these stages and some kids go through them in, in a few days and some it's going to take longer than four weeks. Right. But I have to say, teenagers, I would say it's only like 5% or something that it takes four or six weeks for them to really let it go psychologically. And that's, and those are like usually um, like older teens who are on the spectrum. Almost everybody else, it really takes, I would say the younger kids, a couple days to a week. And then the teens really within two weeks, they've adjusted. So even though parents are like, this is going to be a total nightmare, it's really the first few days that's really hard. And then, you know, even with teens, they do adapt pretty fast. So if they're not adapting, and if they're by day six still telling you that they hate your guts, because I have this happening right now with a couple of family that's going through this, and their 15-year-old girl, well, she's 14, she's almost 15, she is still doing all the hate talk, you know, to her mom. And I think, of course, that's a huge disrespect issue, but there's a whole lot of other things going on. But I also think it's um, because there's some other screen stuff going on too. You mm-hmm. know, she's mm-hmm. watching Instagram here or there on her friend's phone or whatever. I don't know. I just, I don't think she's really getting the full detox. But what do you say to a mom who, or a dad who's, who's getting this kind of feedback from their usually older teens, you know, 15 and up, that are so bold to say really mean and ugly things to their parents. <laughs> what what do you tell them? I mean, I think it's just, again, part of um, just preparing for that to happen and knowing that that's really how an addict behaves, right? Yes. You know, it's every, they're, <laughs> <Good> point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they blame everybody else. They, they, they look for your own vulnerabilities. So they might, you know, s- stick the knife where it really hurts uh, um, especially like single moms with teen girls, the girls, you know, can be incredibly hurtful. So just kind of knowing that where that's coming from is really from the, an addicted brain. That's helpful. And knowing that it should go away, you know, after once they become better regulated and their system has kind of come down. And like I said, they've let it go and they know that they can't wear you down. They will shift. If, if they don't, then there's, you know, there's a series of troubleshooting steps to kind of look at, like, did you miss something? Is it, is it the screens in school issue? Are they sneaking it with a friend? Are they smoking pot? That's a kind of a, a common one now, especially with marijuana becoming legalized in more states. But also it's kind of a gaming culture thing, too. So a lot, sometimes if I get through the whole week and I know that it's been really a clean fast, it's, it ends up being that they're smoking pot. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. <laughs> oh my true. goodness. Okay. Sad, but true. Say that again. So if, if your, if your detox is working, you got to check to see if they are smoking pot. Okay. Yeah. So if you could, if you get through the four weeks and you're really convinced that you've done a clean detox and they're acting the same way. You do want to rule out, are they using anything? And you can, you know, nowadays you can get a drug test from the, from your pharmacy. You don't even need a doctor's test or anything like that. You can just get it 20 bucks at the drugstore. So it's, you know, that's, that kind of thing's worth ruling out. And then other things could come up too, like maybe they're being bullied or, 
Um, you know, there's other issues, of course, there's other issues that could be going on as well. And sometimes those things come up um, more easily when the child's not escaping all the time using their screens. And so I want to reiterate that what, what Victoria is talking about right now is they went from kind of one addiction to another sometime, or they go from one addiction to another. And um, so a lot of times you'll find with kids who are very addicted to their video games and their smartphones, whatever, their screens and the parents take it away, they will look to get that same hit of dopamine somewhere else. And in our culture today, it is really easy at school and everywhere else to get about anything that you want. So it's that craving to get that dopamine, whether it's through drugs. I think kids who are really clinically addicted for a long time do move into other addictions. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't know what all the research is on that, but there's definitely a correlation. There's that correlation on page 194 is where you've got this list of, um, just some things to check for troubleshooting. And so I really like this list if anyone needs to go there directly, but what about, let, let's talk about in, in chapter eight, the next thing that we're talking about here in the book that you're talking about is dealing with self doubt. And I, I really, you're really good at, in, in, at all these little quotes in the beginning of the chapters, by the way, if you haven't read those little quotes in a book, go back and read the chapter quotes at the beginning. I just love the way these all fit in. And I love this one. This says all truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. And third is it is accepted as being self-evident. And that's really true of this issue. For sure. And that's a, it's a parallel. Yeah. It's a parallel process between what, you know, what I was going through writing about this stuff and talking about it. And then it's also true for the parent, yeah, both with their child, their family and, and their own, you know, microculture. But that's really, yeah. I remember when I found that quote, I was like, yes, th- I think yeah. that's, it's so important. It is because it, because you're going to be made fun of and you're going to be different and you're going to, you know, and your kids are going through that too. So just say, yeah, this is normal. We're, whenever you do anything different, right? And, and it's, you're going to have self-doubt, but knowing that you're going to helps, knowing that first you'll be ridiculed, then it's going to be, everybody's going to oppose your idea mm-hmm. like crazy. And then it's going to be accepted. And I have these little vignettes in my head of over the years. And, and one is of a mom calling me and she was literally hiding in her closet. Okay. They were, had taken this phone away from the 14 year old and she was scared to death. And she was in the closet and she was crying. She was, cause I guess she was trying to hide from her daughter. I don't mean to laugh, but, um, so she's calling me from the closet and she's in tears and she's like, I don't know what to do. I think I've totally ruined her. She hates me. She says our relationship will never be the same ever for the rest of her life. She's going to hate me for the rest of her life. You know, these kinds of things are really hard for parents and you have to realize that this is like accept it. like you have not accept it but you have to expect it and know that it's just going to be like this is a form of ridicule right from your kids and then you'll even have your friends your mom peer friends tell you that you're crazy you can't do this you can't take her only you know access to her friends away from her so you get kind of made fun of then you have personal doubt on top of it. So what is the antidote for that? I think just being confident and knowing that you're really working at the brain level. 
you have to do what you have to do, even if it's inconvenient, right? Like if there was an easier way to do it, I would be teaching that. I wouldn't be spending all my time teaching the hard way if it didn't work. That's why I always say if you're if you're kind of feeling stuck, like go back to educating yourself. Because I think the more you know, then you just feel confident. And then the more you talk to someone else who agrees, that's why I love talking to Melanie because, you know, even pe- other people who work with screens, they they start to water it down more and more. Right. And then it just doesn't work. Just being confident in, in what you know and what you're doing, writing it down so that you remember why you're doing what you're doing, tracking things helps. If you have people in your life who aren't agreeing with what you're doing, don't talk to those people during, you know, during the fast um, if they're not going to be supportive. You really want to have people um, who are at least supporting you, even if, if, even if they don't necessarily agree. understand yeah. and agree. And then reading stories of other people who there's stories, there's a bunch of stories in the book, but also I think, you know, the Screen Strong group, like people who have actually done it and seen results is very powerful. Right. That's a wonderful way to deal with self-doubt is to read success stories and the testimonies. And just when you were saying that, it just made me, again, realize how important it is to be confident and not to be wobbly and not to have one foot in and one foot out and be in the gray zone and all this little quicksand zone that we get in because that's going to hurt your kids more. So you've got to be firm. And honestly, at the end of the day, so what if you take a week off screen or, you know, or a month off screens, what's the big deal? Like right. you're not asking them to cut their arm off. Right. So it's, or you're not, you're not taking food away. Right. And you're not taking their friends away either. I think, right. You know, I think parents get stuck on that part too. Well, we can't cut, we can't cut her off from her friends. They can still see their friends. They can still talk to their friends on the phone. And in a way, you know, the pandemic has made some of this a little bit easier because I think parents are now, um, you know, trying to set things up where there's activities and stuff if they see their friends and they're outdoors. And of course, we have summer coming up. So all that, all that is helpful. But um, so you, you're not, you know, they may be spending less time with their friends and more time with the family during the reset and afterwards. But that's okay. You know, you just want that. You just don't want them to feel alone. Right. You don't want to be alone. And one of our local schools did the challenge and they do it every year. And the feedback we get from those teenagers that are going through this is fabulous. It's gold. It's exactly what you think it would be. And they actually have so much fun getting off their screens and getting in person with their friends. And even during the quarantine, you can still get together with one or two friends. It's not like the end of the world. And I think a lot of people think it is, and it's not. Uh, I think this is a great time to do the reset because you you can have more family time. But this is a myth that you're taking their friends away. And, and I think this is why we have self-doubt. And I think this is why parents don't even try to do this because that's one of the biggest arguments. They think they're taking their friends away. If you could understand that you're not, you're actually giving their friends back to them and you're actually helping them develop deeper friendships by taking away the social media or taking away the video game because it's going to force them to get in person with their friends like my boys this past weekend, they were begging me to spend time with their friends. And it's just so much more fun for them. And they don't need to be connected to their friends for 24 seven. I mean, that's, that's what's making them really anxious. And, and y'all as adults, we all have had an upsetting email, an upsetting text. Maybe you had something that just happened in your family and there's like a conflict going on that you have to resolve. 
you know how that affects you physically. It is a physical, exhausting experience to have to resolve this. And so the the reset and the challenge and the detox, this is all about giving your kids a gift, a break, a, a time to just let go of that stress. And who wouldn't want that? Well, you know, a 14, 15 year old doesn't want yeah. it, but they're so stressed. I think too, like, just like you're saying, you just want to get through that first week. For me, of course, you know, my program has at least four weeks, yeah. but I think just, if you don't think of it in terms of forever, you think about just getting through those four weeks, when you see what happens, that helps guide you going forward from there. Yes. So you can't think long-term when you're in this, when you're in the vicious cycle of the chaos, you have to um, see what actually happens and you're going to feel better and the whole family functions better. There's so many things that happen. You know, the kids start reading more. I've had boys start reading who, who weren't even interested in books at all. Uh, so, so, you know, it, it, it's different for every kid, but I think parents are always surprised, you know, they might be tracking certain things and looking at certain things to change, but then all these other things happen too. And then you let that guide you going forward. I agree. I, there's so many positive things that happen once you have to just kind of get over the withdrawal and get over the arguments and the tears Mm -hmm. and just, just be firm. Don't give in. Don't have like one foot in and one foot out. You, your kids will have a much worse time if you do that. It's just like, if you can't trust your coach, you're going to be a terrible player. You're not gonna be able to, to perform your best. You have to your coach has to be a hundred percent there. And, um, once you get through all that, I will personally vouch for the fact that everyone who goes through this, I know it can't be a hundred percent, but it feels like a hundred percent of the people that go through just mm-hmm. say, wow, that was really cool. We, my kids just become different people when they're yes. not, around all everybody this. says that and they they say i've got my kid back you know every parent i got my kid back that. yeah yeah and even if you if you can't maintain it then i don't know try to do the challenge again every month or try to i don't know what i mean i i, I just think that the benefits are so great and they're so obvious after even just a short period of time just mm-hmm. sitting at the table and talking at the kitchen table you know they they do errands with you. They help you in the yard. You're just kind of getting to know them better again. And I, and I think also, yeah, the, all those things start to happen more naturally, like doing the chores, being right. outside more. They're more physical. They start doing other hobbies. Then when you're trying to figure out, you know, either continue the status quo or try to introduce a little bit to see how it goes, they have all those things built in. Now it gives you a little bit more of a buffer, mm-hmm. but also the longer you go, the more resilient the brain becomes. So for every family, it's kind of a learning curve after the, after the fast, you know, sometimes they say, oh, this, you know, it's harder after the fast. The fast was relatively easy. Like learning how to live this way long-term feels harder. It's like learning to eat right, you know? Right. Right. Um, Which is, you know, it's a, it's a learning curve. But what I, what I see with successful families is not that they don't make mistakes. It's that they learn from the mistake and they tweak and then they, something happens and they tweak it again. And then they go for kind of longer and longer stretches of things going well. And every time you get more time under your belt of, of the kid being screen-free, it's like putting money in the bank. So you're mm. literally making their brain stronger, more connected, more resilient. 
You're investing. You're investing. In your brain. Yes, that's why my blog is called Mental Wealth because you're. It's really the same principles and all in developmentally. Every time, every minute, you know, you've talked about this. Every minute on a screen, you're losing that time when they could be making other brain connections. Even just being with you um, in a relationship and building that relationship, or even just doing nothing, is better right. than filling it with this stimulation that is inappropriate. So just that innovation that happens when they're having that downtime and that time away. So at the end, we're going to wrap up. And in chapter 10 here, you're talking about the everyday house rule. So just to reiterate, a lot of people ask me this. So, you know, especially with the challenge, of course, our thing is a seven day to get started. So then they say, even after seven days or after 30 days, where do we go from here? And do you have to say that ahead of time? Do you have to know that ahead of time? Do you have to say to your kids, okay, I went to a class. I understand now that all these screens are really bad for you. So, you know, for till college, you're not getting screens. I mean, that's too overwhelming, I think, kind mm-hmm. of for a teenager to hear that. So, but where do you, you go? I do have this question a lot. Do you bring them back in? Do you, I mean, I still don't think, I, I just absolutely don't think it, that teenagers need smartphones. Okay, period. Right. That's just a disaster right there. Yeah. Um, what What do you tell parents? Do you work on bringing them? I know it makes you cringe, Victoria, to have to tell a parent, well, sure, bring the video game back in the house. Well, for things like, I mean, gaming and things like that, I just say, just lose it forever. I mean, once <laughs> we get through that, um, you know, that's always, 100% of the time, that's my recommendation, especially, you know, the kids I'm seeing. But there's still, you know, Using computers for school, um, the smartphone issue, I do always, you know, like you, recommend that they don't have a smartphone. And now there's more choices, the Gab phone, instead of just getting, you know, I used to always recommend a dumb phone, the little flip phones. At least they have the Gab phone now. To me, that is your best bet. You, You will be way ahead of the game. It's just so much less risky that way. And then I think the other thing that's tricky to to navigate is social media for girls, especially. Right. Um... And I think your book, Melanie, is the best guide I've seen for if, they, if they're using it to do it on your phone and in very small amounts of time and have it be right. monitored and all that stuff because um, that can really suck them in too. Oh, yeah. And as social media, that's that's another another topic, but that, it's just not designed, especially for teenage girls. It's like the worst thing you can think of. It's in terrible. fact, if you had to invent the worst thing in the world for a teenage girl, I think social media meets every single one of the criteria for the I worst agree. thing. And I always tell parents like boys are, boys are really struggling more now in terms of academically. But to me, it's easier for me to work with a boy and get him off gaming much easier than to deal with the social media issues. Isn't that interesting? And I know why, because girls are more invested. They've mm-hmm. invested more of their life. Gamers are, you know, they're winning, they're accomplishing something, they're, they're doing something and you have to just kind of replace that, right? They have to start right. accomplishing right. something in real life. They don't have their emotional identity invested so much in the game. I mean, some do, I guess, if they, they're just going to grow up and be gamers and that's all they're going to do, then you got that. But Way more so with girls on social media. So that's really interesting that you bring in that up. So if you're a yeah. mom out there of a girl or a dad of a girl, then, you know, you're not crazy. You are having more problems probably getting the social media reduced or yeah. eliminated. You know, I think part of like the long-term plan is is looking at 
their functioning and their mental health as you go and always pulling back or doing another reset, screen fast, screen challenge again and again if you need to. So kind of tracking those things when you see, start to see things slip, if you act quickly, you can get, it's easier to get things back on track and you may have to keep doing it. You know, I have some families that end up doing a, a reset like once a year. And then as they get older, you know, you are, their brain is maturing too over time. Right. And it will mature faster than the more screen free that they are. So you're kind of, again, in like investing in their development and they, as the, the better integrated their frontal lobe is, especially over time, the better that they can regulate their use of technology as an adult. So that is also like a big myth that parents think, well, they have to learn how to, how to handle it and manage it in this world. So we can't just ignore the problem. But the thing is you have to let the brain develop and a better developed brain is what, what manages and governs self-discipline in every area of life, including technology use. Yeah, that is, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is the number one argument or fear. Well, they're not going to know how to use it. And, and I say exactly the same thing. We've got to get their brain really healthy first and you've got to get that executive function skills working. You, you have to do, and everything on a screen is totally opposite of healthy executive function skills. I mean, impulse control. Are you kidding me? Like that you're training the worst, right? (laughs) You know, impulse control on a screen. So to plan ahead and all these things, you know, all these executive function skills, if we could just get the executive function area of the brain developed really well, then they'll be fine down the road using screens. They'll, they'll be able to manage it. They'll have more insight about it. They'll have, they'll be able to adjust things if things aren't working, you know, all of those things. And I think another thing that I hear from parents, sometimes I work with a parent and then I hear from them years later, their kids in college now and they, and I, and they say, you know, he's doing well. And I say, what do you think made, made the difference? And a number of moms have said, talking about it over and over and over again, just like with drugs, we know having those conversations, even if the kid is rolling their eyes right. and arguing with you, it does sink in. But we know from research that those and the data says that those conversations only work. Well, they only work about 50% of the time, which is fine, but they only work if you're not allowing the addictive thing at the same time. Right. Like right. you can't have conversations about doing, not doing drugs and then let them smoke pot every night. Like that, the conversation won't work. Right. (laughs) Yes. So there's a caveat to it. And this whole thing about practicing an addictive activity doesn't help you use it less or better. And that's, I don't know how to exactly articulate that, but, but I know this is where I got caught. I know this is where a lot of parents get caught. Well, they have to use it and do it. They have to learn how not to use it by using it. That doesn't even make any sense. (laughs) Right, right. It doesn't make sense. From a brain point of view, it doesn't. I understand why people think that way, but it doesn't make sense from a brain point of view, from a developmental point of view, and from an addiction point of view. It, It doesn't make logical science sense. It's the more you do something, the more you're gonna do it. Right. And that's what we have to remember. And I think um, finally, we, we got to wrap up here, but I, one other thing that's been com- coming up kind of a lot lately is this idea that people who are really struggling with this issue say, well, I don't want my kids to live in a bubble. I, 
I can't take this stuff away from them because they'll live in a bubble. And I want to turn that right back around and say, no, kids who are on screens, who are dependent on screens, who are overusing screens, they are in the bubble. Mm -hmm. That is the bubble. The real world is not the bubble. The real world is just incredible for kids. Right. To, and to it grow. really expands their world. I mean, yes. they're able to connect with adults better. They're able to, their brain thinks more deeply. They're able to plan their future and dream about what they want to do. Definitely. Yes, I totally more freedom. agree. It's more yes. freedom. You're not limiting your kids by going through a reset or a detox. You, th this is about, this is all about giving them more freedom. And we're not just using semantics here. This is truly what's happening to their brains, to their imaginations, to all their creativity. Everything is going to get unleashed. We've got to get them out of their digital bubble in order to do that. And getting them out of that bubble is what we're talking about today. And, and Victoria, you've been so wonderful explaining this. It's is something like we have to hear it over and over and over again <laughs> um, for it to make sense. And I just love the way that you articulate it. And obviously your life work, you're committed to this and you're super passionate about it. And you've just been so helpful. And this is our book of the month this month. So if you're listening and you haven't gotten Reset Your Child's Brain, um, please, you can go on our website. You can order it through the website, but please get this this book, and then also go through the Screen Strong Challenge as a way to get some community around you, the Screen Strong Families Facebook group. You'll be able to say, hey, I'm getting ready to do this. <laughs> Help me. And then you'll have other parents jump in. So um, Vicki, let's just end. And, and, and gosh, the time just goes by really fast here. But what final words of encouragement can you give to parents who are in the middle of the challenge, maybe they're getting ready to take it. Maybe they've tried and they failed, you know, and they're listening and they're trying to do it again. What are your final thoughts? And it doesn't have to just be one thought. You can give us a few <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> the timing right now is really perfect, I feel like, because in terms of the pandemic, you know, more and more people are getting vaccinated. Things are starting to open up more. The weather's getting nicer. More kids are returning to in-person school. So whether you want to start the reset now or try to do the best you can and then really do a full one in the summer, um, I just think, you know, this has been such a hard past year, but I mm -hmm. feel like this is a time for, you know, just really focusing on what will make your life better and, and what is really important. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that happened with the pandemic is like, at least it was an eye-opening moment for people about the dangers of screen, including adults and Oh yeah, I think zooming. everybody's on I mean, everyone's sick right of now. it, but everyone now gets it. I think <laughs> it's a lot easier to have these conversations. You're right. It, it we used to get ridiculed. Now people are just nodding their heads and they're like, "Yes, yeah. I get exactly what you're talking about now. Yeah. This is happening in my house." So just think, you know, when you're getting overwhelmed, just think first things first. Just educate yourself. Try to do the reset or the screen strong challenge. Anything just to get going, and then go from there. Like I said, just it, it keeps building on itself. And don't get discouraged if things don't go well. Like that's normal too. But just keep keep at it and eventually you're gonna see results, especially over time. Yeah, all your effort will be, you know, maybe in the beginning you you don't feel like it will be worth it, but it will be worth it. And I would add to here at the end just to say that just the very fact that you're trying to do something 
tells your kids that you really care about them and that you love them unconditionally. You're going to do this really hard thing and you know that they're they're not going to like you for it. <laughs> Maybe for a few days anyway, I don't know. I think in Leonard Sachs' book, he he talked about, you know, if your kids are giving you grief and being disrespectful and saying they hate you and all this stuff, you know, you can say, you know, sometime I don't like you either, but I love you and I want the very best for you and then follow up with your actions. And mm-hmm. we have all sorts of ideas for how to rebuild your relationships with your kids and spend time with your teens and your kids and build family traditions and build that exercise and free play and creativity and touch and empathy, all that back into your, your life. And that is a huge benefit of the reset and doing, doing the detox. So thank you so much, Victoria, for joining us. Thank you, Melanie. Pleasure as always. Yes. Oh, I have so much fun talking with you about this. We're so happy to have you back at the end of the month. So everyone just stay tuned for the exact date and time. Dr. Dunkley will be back on a live Zoom call at the end of April. We'll be able to ask her live questions there. So, and be sure to read her article on psychology today. All you need to do is just Google her name there. And she's got some really good information there as well. Remember to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and head over to our website to donate and learn more about our Screen Strong Challenge. Also make sure to join our Screen Strong Families Facebook group that we've been talking about today where you'll find support from other parents. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong. Stay strong.